Good morning, vendors and non-vendors alike, and welcome to the Republic City Dispatch, a radio program covering Nickelodeon's Legend of Korra series. This week, the situation in the South leads to terrorism in Republic City. Moki is domesticated now, but Milo's a training monster. And who and where are the peacekeepers? Maybe they're your hosts, Matt, Dave, and Devendra. Hi, I'm Matt Patches, and yes, we're back here at Republic City Dispatch uh, talking about Peacekeepers, Episode 5 of Book 2, Spirits. And of course, once again, I'm joined by Devendra Hardwar. Hello, hello. And Dave with a 7 Gonzalez. Hello. Still with a 7. Still with a 7. Loving it. Um, First, we should say, does everyone know that the show is on at 8.30 now? That kind of came out of nowhere. (laughs) What happened there? Yeah. yeah, that was a mysterious move, but I guess now we're doing it at 8.30, guys. Well, okay. yes, uh, I was very happy that um, Brian on his Tumblr wrote about why the show is moving to 8.30, which seems a little arbitrary. There wasn't much fanfare about it, and I hope people still catch the show. They're DVRs. I don't know how DVRs work. Do DVRs pick that up automatically? Some some of them do. Um, D- is a tech many, blogger, so he many must Many older know ones this. probably won't. Oh, boy. This is kind of scary, though, because it reminds me of Firefly and trying to catch that on TV and how, like, Fox really just tried to kill that show by changing the schedule a lot. Wow. So, scary. Um, So hopefully, it doesn't seem like that's actually going to impact Core though, if Brian's writing on the move, um, you know, explains the truth here, which is... um, Friday nights at 7.30 is kind of a ratings graveyard. He That's exactly the terminology he uses. Um, so we shouldn't be worried about kind of the lower numbers compared to last mm-hmm. season because that's inevitable for putting it on Friday. And he, as he puts it, he honestly doesn't know why Nickelodeon moved it from Saturday mornings to Friday nights, um, which uh, as, actually I think Firefly might have been on on Friday nights. Or was that yep. Dollhouse? Yes. All of Joss Whedon's creations. Firefly was on on Fridays and then got moved to like Wednesday and then Tuesday. It was, it was a mess. <laughs> Yeah, that's why they shows. put Fringe when they wanted Fringe to die. Yes. Um, so, yes, Brian says that um, iTunes downloads and Nick.com streamings, all consistent with last season. The only thing that's changed is live viewings at this new time. And he hopes that uh, they'll patch things up with Netflix. There was a big Viacom explosion. Um, and that's why you don't see Avatar The Last Airbender on Netflix anymore. But he hopes it'll all get worked out. And we should not fear and uh, I think I said this on RepublicCityDispatch.com this week. Do not worry about the ratings. It does not matter. Yeah, also, we still have more that's coming, and they're working on it right now. There was also they're a, already paying a, for it. There was a big rumor that the show was moving to Nicktoons, which I was very happy to be a journalist and confirm with Nickelodeon is hogwash. I don't know who <laughs> put that out there, but please, if you want truth, come to RepublicCityDispatch.com. Now, Dave, what happened in this episode? All right, before that, though, I do want to say it is weird now watching Cora at, like, a time we were having, like, a beer. It just, it really doesn't jive with the coffee and donuts from last season. But I don't I'm imagine getting... that many people are drinking beer while watching I mean, Cora. It, it's an adult time slot, and this <laughs> is a show about very serious political happenings, as we're about to find out right now because Cora pulls into Republic City where Lynn cautions her not to join a peaceful Southern Water Tribe protest. Cora does it anyway, so she's not with Mako when he sees one of the Agni Kai gang blow up the cultural center. The explosion is immediately blamed on the Northern Water Tribe despite Mako's evidence to the contrary. Meanwhile, Tenzin is still on a journey of self-discovery through family, this time helping Milo become a training master. 
Korra and Varric are unable to secure troops from President Raiko, and before Korra can get General Iroh on board, Raiko heads her off thanks to information he got from Mako. Iroh suggests Korra visit Zuko and his daughter the Fire Lord for help, while Varric plots propaganda movers starring Bolin after a visit to the pro-bending arena. Makora gets scrapped. Dun, dun, dun. Because both parties <laughs> value their jobs, and Korra takes off by herself. She battles Desna and Eska until she happens across a large aquatic dark spirit that cannot be calmed even by the Avatar state. They disappear under the water, and we cliffhang out. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Dave, I thought of you right away when this episode ended because it seemed like everything that you wanted in a book two episode am i crazy here or is this like rubbing you in all the right places no i was so happy <laughs> um uh, I, yeah right down to we're gonna go to zuko and the fire lord who doesn't have a name yet but i'm very happy to meet right. her and figure out what happened to that um yeah hold and oh just the possibility of so much history and the flashback episodes coming up and we got out of this weird southern water tribe thing, and you sort of got the idea that this was now a bigger conflict, which is something I didn't realize I was missing from the first few episodes. But it right. sort of all felt like it was happening in this little oasis in the South Pole. And now it's like, oh, no, there ripples out into Republic City. And uh, we have Varric bringing up war profiteering and sort of like silent movie <laughs> era uh, propaganda films. There was nothing about this episode I didn't like. <laughs> Although I think I was on the side of everybody that we would consider as against Korra because I think that the president made a really good call not to get involved in a civil war. And uh, I sort of see where Mako's coming from because he puts, you know, some having some honor in your personality doesn't necessarily mean you're betraying your irrational possibly irrational girlfriend possibly possibly irrational let's not throw too much opinions. judgment i yeah. i mean i don't know it, it seems like Cora has been acting a little a little different this season so i don't, I don't know how you'd want to phrase that uh I, I wonder guys like with all the avatar training she did um has there been no study of history because it seems like these basic things right this is what we go to high school for this is why we kind of learn history, so we don't repeat the mistakes of the past. Um, I just wonder if there's any instances in those worlds, yeah, you know, in that world where she could, um, I don't know, she could have learned some lessons potentially about why it's not a good idea to just race into a war like this. <laughs> this is why don't you know. don't. This is why you don't homeschool. No, seems- <laughs> I'm sorry, homeschoolers. I'm sorry. Oh. That was unfair. That was unfair. You learned a I- lot. I talked, totally I talked about this a little bit on the website, but it made me sort of go back and look at season one. And right. like outside of her joining pro bending, which is definitely something she wanted to do against Tenzin's wishes, she seems sort of like the exact same person. It's just it's harder to argue with her when Republic City's under attack. And she's like, I want to go fight him on. I want to go fight him on. I totally that's agree. all she wants to do. And now she's doing the exact same thing. But as opposed to the first season... Uh, the things she's bouncing off of are characters we've already grown to trust in different situations. Right. The the waters are murkier here, but she's still as steadfast as she was in the first season. The problem is she's charging into something she doesn't know enough about, unlike season one. Bigger, bigger conflicts. Or something we don't know enough about. I I don't think she knew enough about Amon the first time she wanted to do the showdown. And even Amon didn't think she knew enough about Amon the first time she tried to take him on. And I think that's still what we're seeing here. Mm -hmm. But, like, 
we have uh, the the way that everything that comes out of Unalak's mouth could possibly be a lie. Like, where he's like, oh, of course I need her to go to the, open the northern portal. I just said that because I'm crazy evil. Like, now that makes sense to me, and that's a fun character dynamic because <laughs> it's like all that does is all he's trying to do is motivate people. You can't even take anything he says at face value. So we're in completely murkier territory where it's hard to pick out good guys and bad guys. Of course he can't trust me. I'm a bad guy. I don't know. <laughs> I'm nefarious. Um, I, I think the thing I've noticed more this season is that Cora just seems a lot more naive than she was in the first season. And that's, you know, yeah, she was more, she was stubborn then. She didn't really listen to people when they gave her advice. But uh, I, I don't know. To me, it feels a little different this season, and especially well, the whole Maka relationship feels like it's falling apart because of that. I'll tell you why I can relate to this situation. I felt like when I was in high school that I had a pretty good idea of who or what was good and what was bad. Like who who I could mm-hmm. call an enemy or someone who, who would um, who was toxic who we knew was hurting the environment or would hurt people that we knew. So we stayed away from them. I knew that. And I knew who was good, who would really enrich my life and empower me. Um, but then when I started scaling back and like studying history and learning more about conflict and politics, politics don't make any sense. They really don't. <laughs> They'll never make sense because right. you have to align yourself with things that aren't, they're curvy lines, you know, whereas good people and bad people are straight lines that you can see down. Politics are always curvy, and you cannot easily align yourself with them. And I think that's what the big problem here, and this is a political episode. This is politics-heavy, drawing upon all sorts of his, uh, especially American history in the last hundred years. Uh, I just think this is a really compelling turn of events for Cora because, as you're saying, she's, she's driving herself into scenarios that don't really make a lot of sense for us watching, getting the, um, the enjoyment of observing her make these choices, but there's no clear answer. I mean, how do you be political? I felt watching Cora tr- want to be decisive, want to end this conflict against the North and the South, um, and, and she's right. She should interfere, or maybe she... Should she interfere? You know, like she wants to um, make sure there's no violence and that no one suffers and that the good rules over evil, quote unquote. But she's basically in the same position that Obama has been in um, considering <laughs> Syria. And, and, and time. <laughs> yeah. Five episodes. Well, the, well, here we I mean, I we should get into this a little bit, but I. I'm not a very political person at heart. Dave is, so I'm I'm treading into really scary territory, and I don't want to get too political about it. But we do have to see a reflection of our political leaders making decisions in environments that are impossible to make correct decisions in. Someone's always going to blame them for making the wrong decision, and the ones that they take are never going to be clear-cut, and they're always going to have a ripple effect in some sure, positive sure. and negative way. And I, I really do see Obama's recent... Um, confrontation with this whole serious situation as being something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm just kind of surprised at how little wisdom we see coming from Cora, and you know, to be trained her entire life by you know masters and by Tenzin, I feel like we would see more of that in her character. Maybe she would understand a little more about her role as the Avatar. Because she's not Aang, right? Aang had no help. He had no support. He kind of had to do all this on his own. And it was his connection with the spirit world that kind of 
taught him the wider aspect of what it means to be the Avatar, she, Korra has tons of training. She has tons of people behind her. I don't, it's just one aspect of this story that they built up that I don't quite understand. I feel like if you have someone as important as the Avatar and you know they're the Avatar from, you know, childhood, you would kind of instill this sort of thing. It's sort of like, uh, yeah, it reminds me of something like, uh, I don't know, Little Buddha, right? That you know, Keanu Reeves movie from the 90s, which was gorgeous and really kind of confusing too. But the idea that there's this really special person um, that, you know, the entire society kind of almost worships, uh, but definitely protects in a way and trains in a way, it seems like that person would at least have, I don't know, a little something. Well, uh, so, I, mean, yeah. I think the I think the series is trying to address that in the right. sense that it's showing that Tenzin's realizing that he may not be the master that he thought he would, and it revealed that Korra was trained in the Southern Water Tribe until we picked up with her at book one. And at that point, she's already much older than Aang, who had been flying around on Appa, right. testing out his, you know, avatar problem-solving skills, while Korra just had a line of masters. And granted, they're probably really good bending and spiritual masters, but she doesn't seem that into it. And because she can't do the avatar state, mm-hmm. she can't call on her past lives for any sort of wisdom either. It, it actually reminds me of what Aang faced in The Promise. Aang got off okay. easy because Aang had a very clear-cut goal Everyone knew who was good and who was bad, and he didn't have to deal with any of this. But then in The Promise, he had to maybe kill Zuko and try and start this internal war. It's a, it's a lot like that comic. I'd highly recommend people reading it. But um, <laughs> the other the other thing that Devendra does to kind of address what you were saying, and I'm being apolitical here. I'm not I'm, – I'm taking the Avatar role here and not – Middle not, road. Yeah, middle road. Yes. Um, but I do see – you know, because Obama here is in the spotlight, I'm going to use him as an example. Obama is a guy who came and learned how to be great for people. You know, he's working with um, small groups and activism and and helping small communities. He wants to be. He knows he how to be a hero, and he knows the right and wrong. Um, but then, when you throw him into larger political situations, that whole scenario becomes murkier. I think you could just we could just say the president, the president, <laughs> any, any American president, basically. Sure. It's true. The it's true. Paper. They've all they've all come. All American presidents have come from um, idealistic situations, I think, where they have risen to the top um, by being great people. And then they have to be at the center of larger conflicts that don't have easy answers. And that's what I really think. Like, why doesn't Cora? Why can't she stick to her training, or should she be trained? Well, she has been trained. She's been trained to be a hero and solve black and white problems. But here's a gray problem that really, especially because the characters around her who should be supporting her are also being challenged by gray area problems. You know, Mako has to make a really big decision here. Should he um, align himself with the police force that he's given himself over to that upholds the law? The law. Or does he help his girlfriend, someone he loves dearly? Whether they break up or not, Mako loves Korra. But he has to choose the law because he has to choose the lesser of two evils, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I I think I'm just a little surprised because the show is definitely steeped in, like, uh, you know, pseudo-Eastern mythology. Um, You'd assume, like, what Korra went through growing up, being trained. It's all about the gray area. You know, you if you have a culture that pulls so much from Buddhism and from other Eastern ideas, 
it's all about the middle road. It's all about that. It's not really about black and white. Um, and I think we saw that in the first season too, where she had to her whole the whole thing where she had to learn how to airbend. That was her trying to come to terms and not really use force. And I, I don't know. It was a very different way of thinking, but definitely felt like that was something kind of related to this idea that she should be a little more aware of the grayer areas in life. Uh, but anyway, I feel like we're getting too bogged down. This. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, but then the other aspects of this episode right. kind of play into that in different ways. I mean, one of the things that I love about this episode is um, we first saw, see a, a Southern Water Tribe peace march. I mean, this is just like ripping out of the headlines. I to me, am I am I looking too far into this? Is is peace marching and and I think I think that we're hitting mm-hmm. across a lot of things that are predictable with a democracy that has right, an external right. conflict, and they're echoing true to you as headlines. Where I think they would have worked at a lot of time periods as headlines, and will work in the future as headlines. Unfortunately. Well, then, does that mean that they are political archetypes or historical? I mean, why why are they consistent? Can you can you talk to that effect in some way? Like, why history obviously repeats itself. Um, so, yeah. why do these elements seem familiar to us? Hmm. Well, so w- what we're doing instead of uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender, which had sort of a medieval feel around it, where you had kings and you know lords and some sort of uh, serfs in the non-benders. Now we're in a democracy that sort of began with, you know, a ruling body, which was the council, but it was still sort of segregated in the sense that it was each being represented by a tribe. But since Tarlock kind of threw that out, <laughs> um, now the benders and non-benders have found peace by electing a non-bender president. And that president now has to represent everybody. And so there's going to be, you know, still the factions and the gangs that were always in Republic City and those people are going to now be separated by demonstration. So the Southern Water Tribe is different from all the Republic City people, and therefore they're having right. to express themselves. Like if, you know, all of a sudden France bombed Italy, there'd be Italians in the streets having peace marches. Right. And I think it's also worth pointing out, it's a post-industrial democracy too, right? So right. there are all these other factors and things going on there. So that's why we see like war profiteering is something that's always been around. But uh, the, the sure. way it's showing up in this episode is definitely feels more modern than anything else. Well, yeah, I was yeah. about to say, I mean, yeah. hearing Varric say that line that, you're, right. you know, if you can't make money from war, you can't make money at all. For, um, I mean, it's chilling. He's the one who paid off the Agni Kai to blow up the cultural center, right? Oh, definitely. Okay, good. I'm glad. I, I would I would expect that. <laughs> but then who else is in? I mean, what does that mean? I, I My mind jumped to, like, truthers. If people out there are familiar <laughs> with truthers, 9-11 conspiracies, I don't want to get too far into it. But, I mean, well, conspiracy culture golf is... Of, golf of talking sure. you know, yeah. thing. There, there are many examples fact. where, I don't know, we were, or specific governments were definitely responsible for those things. Yeah. But it's interesting to me that... Mm-hmm. If, if, you know, Dave, I know that you are suggesting that I, I might be reading too far into history repeating itself and seeing um, a modern reflection in this episode of Korra, but I do, I mean, seeing Varric kind of whisper in people's ears and be very militaristic, I mean, he's, not only is he, is he war profiteering um, and, and kind of maybe staging um, 
acts of uh, acts of violence and acts of terrorism to kind of perpetuate mm-hmm. his own agenda. Um, but yeah, he's he's funneling money into the military. I, I keep getting this like. Dick Cheney, Blackwater vibe. <laughs> not to get well, too political. Not to get too political. Actual villain of the season. I do. Like, I think he might be in cahoots with Unalak. I think it'd be. I think it'd be the best thing if by the end of the season we realize that you know it's really Varric kind of uh, pulling all the strings, putting everything together, and him like trying to create some sort of crazy conspiracy. Or right. Something. So like capitalism yeah. versus God spirits. Yeah. That's exactly, I mean, if you're trying to explore spirituality and what it means to culture, you have to go straight to the opposite. And that's materialism. That's capitalism. And yet, and yet. This is what I love. We're not talking about, like, this episode was sort of like Empire Strikes Back. (laughs) We're right into the themes. Well, I think that's a strength of the show. I mean, they're not afraid to delve into politics without being as dry as Star Wars Episode One, which we'll always go back to. But, um... (laughs) It is interesting to me, too, that Varric, not only does he display this manipulative quality that we see in so many modern politicians, um, but he's also, he also is um, a Joseph Goebbels, uh, Lenny Reifenstahl propagandist. Or, or Walt Disney. <laughs> well, oh. When did, oh, well, okay, okay. Yeah. Maybe, but... Air power. But Joseph Goebbels, I mean, if you've seen Inglorious Bastards, the Quentin Tarantino film, you've seen Joseph Goebbels do exactly to... Um, Daniel Bruhl's character in that film, he turns him into a war hero by taking his, his actual life or taking footage and manipulating it and, and creating a uh, pro-Nazi propaganda film. And that's exactly what Bol- uh, Varric does to Bolin in this yep. episode. And it's frightening. That's frightening, especially because Bolin is so game. And that's, yeah, that's gets, really... He gets goaded into it through the, the pro-bending <laughs> sort of fandom who is only interested in his buzzwords. Oh my God, terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. And then then you have someone like President Raiko, who I'm trying to better understand in this whole conflict. Obviously, for me, personally, the guy who looks too far into all of this, President Raiko is Bill Clinton. And he, <laughs> th- during 1992 to 95, during the Serb and Croats conflict in Bosnia. Right. Because he... He is non-interfering. I mean, he is what I supposedly Cora is supposed to be doing, standing back and letting things kind of play out uh, in some way. Or is that what Cora should be doing? This is so complex that I am, like me reading BBC News every day, going back and forth, wondering how I should approach or how I should think about all these different issues and trying to decide. And then I'm sure, just like in real life, everyone on my Facebook will be yelling at each other, except on the show, it's... Tumblr well, and everyone will be yelling. She has a justifiable <laughs> position because she could always fall back on my family is going to die. You are killing my family. Sure. And so it's hard to argue with which is a passionate and possibly true, you know, argument. And she has what she is believing is true right now, which is that uh, Unalak has been plotting this since he was younger to usurp the throne of the northern tribe and then eventually take over the southern tribe but no one else really has any evidence of that and uh right the evidence the real evidence when mako finds it sort of gets lost in the bureaucracy we're supposed to trust um thanks to the two jokey policemen i know what that's a movie moment i feel like the (laughs) the the corrupt cops who won't listen to the young whippersnapper yeah yeah um, actually, that is a really astute point. I wonder if that is a, a nod to 
to the wire. I, mean, I would say a line right now, but I, I, it's not. Um, it's not a G-rated. Yeah. There you go, giving <laughs> something, something. Um, but it's pretty much it is pretty much that. I, I I think I found something kind of frustrating about this episode too, where they didn't really convey everything going on with Umlock very much, like saying like like I don't know. They have a lot more evidence, I think. Um, they could really set up the case of like what Unlock is doing can affect the entire world. You know, opening up these spirit doors. Um, he's trying to set things up. Everybody should be worried about that. I wish I don't know. Maybe this is just me wishing Core was a little more strategic. But I do. I, I wish like somebody kind of said like you know there there's another way we could approach this rather than gathering troops and taking it all. Well, what what know? do you mean another way to approach it? Like what do you? see as you mean approaching the president with a different plan or more evidence well, if, or if we have all these parallels to the modern world right like i don't know if this world has something akin to the un or some sort of like you know if all of these countries actually talk to each other or if all the different um i guess they're still kind of well, tribes, I think, what's the un think, gonna do no to no wait, wait 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 yeah. i think well you look I think at syria the, today the president <laughs> the president is the un because right. yes i agree iro's iro's advice is go to the fire lord so they're saying like basically like go to the individual nation because zuko right go to and, britain yeah is he president of the world or just of like that area? he's president of the united uh nations of are they actually called Wrong. the united nations <laughs> incorrect <laughs> Uh, but there, there's yeah, there are a fifth tribe. So at the end of the promise, okay, they use the city of Yudao to start this fifth all-inclusive <laughs> bender non-bender tribe, and that it establishes Republic City as its capital. So right. Republic City isn't the capital of the world; it's just the capital of the largest. So nation. he's he's the leader of that fifth tribe, there, right? Yes, I need to yeah, go I, to I, grad I, school just to understand this episode <laughs> of Korra. <laughs> I, I yeah, I guess it's my thing. Like you know if. You, we've seen what this world can come to when the different tribes and the different people kind of fight fight against each other. I would think after that they would try to, and this is, by the way, how the UN was kind of formed, was like, you know, a massive war that kind of affected the entire world. Um, I'm surprised that there is no easy way for them all to talk and kind of come together and just be well, like, hey, by the way, this kind of threatens everything. What complicates thing and I complicates mm-hmm. things, and I think this is daring on the part of, of Brike to kind of weave this <laughs> aspect into it. And this is very, I mean, we see it the whole episode with President Raiko, but I think there's a telling moment why that uh, doesn't really work, that concept of, of, of presenting more evidence or, or making some sort of case, because he, all he wants to do is, a fo- he wants a photo op with Cora. That's his big thing. And, and he cares about saving his own skin. As, ooh, as a political ooh, ooh. officer, and I think that's really intriguing. I mean, when he first meets Cora, it's handshake, look at the camera, and then he goes up to Mako and he's like, are you dating the Avatar? You know, how can we use this for <laughs> political plays that keep me in power right. but without actually having to do anything? Wait, isn't Varric with Cora when he meets... Yes, Varric okay, introduces, okay. because Varric is a supporter of President Raiko, but he's also one of the highest uh, contributors to Raiko's opponent in the elections. Right. It's so, so what shady. If, what, if, what if this is, like, Varric, if Varric is the big bad and he's capitalism, then he's the war machine. So if he's with Korra, maybe he also has hold over Raiko. I mean, so, I believe he's he's pulling all sorts of strings. It's funny yeah. because in the first podcast, I said that I didn't. I hoped Varric was more than just the comedy relief that he was. I mean, he was kind of a throwaway character in the first episode, and now he might be 
the big bad. I don't know. But then well, we still have the spirit world. Well, remember, if he is a Nazi propagandist, as I believe, then Nazis were very into the occult. Uh, <laughs> so there's still that aspect. See well, Hellboy. Like capitalism isn't into the occult. See it's Hellboy. The thing. <laughs> See Hellboy. See, that has all the answers. We can't quote The Wire, but tell go see Hellboy. What? Hellboy is a you know that's a PG thirteen movie. PG thirteen. All yeah. right, all right. It's Fair for enough. Cartoon action if Laura and violence. Can see it. You can see it. Um, and 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 is just as violent as some of the crazy action at the end of the episode. I might. Yes. Add. Uh, that was uh, that was a pretty sick action scene set piece with uh, Eska, Eska and Desna. Skating along the the water, talk to me. It was fun. It was definitely fun. I was surprised. I, I was more wondering, like, where is everybody getting jet skis from? <laughs> no, they're riding typhoons. You fool! It's also one of those things where you know Cora breaks up with Mako, and she went directly after from that scene to you know go to the Fire Lord, I guess. So she's crying there. It's one of those things that kind of annoys me because the continuity feels a little off. Um, but yeah, it was it was a fun scene. Definitely Wait, fun you think scene. she's fine? No, I don't think she's fine. I think um, she's been eaten by a spirit. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's definitely been eaten by a spirit. Um, I, in terms of how that scene played out, though, I thought it was kind of funny how um, she can kind of just flip on the Avatar state now. Right. It feels like we're at a point of like uh, of Dragon Ball Z. Where people can just go Super Saiyan whatever they want to. So I think we're seeing the show evolve. It definitely, at this point, when we see these things, definitely reminds me even more of Dragon Ball Z, which hmm. is something I brought up when uh, during the first season quite a bit, too. What, what, what about it, uh, other than the, uh, you know, you can just all of a sudden go Super Saiyan? I think that's it. It's, it's the basic <laughs> idea, right? Where you have this, this kind of hidden power... You can tap into it immediately. Um, it's not just Dragon Ball Z. A ton of shows do this. I mean, it's, the rules it's like, escalate. The rules of the, the world escalate. escalate. It's kind of the joy of watching and reading anything about the Incredible Hulk or something like that. You know, right. it's like when you see this happen, you know something's going to get real. Um, so I, I don't know. I just feel like the way it's implemented in the show and the way it looks too. The Avatar state feels like more of a flip switch moment now, whereas uh, in the original Avatar series, it felt more kind of momentous, like. Oh no, oh, no, this is insane. What's going on? Why is this happening now? Um, I think because Korra is older, we're seeing her use it a little more, maybe a little more carefree, uh, at least a little more often. Well, I would say that anyone who uses the Avatar state to win an airball race uh, <laughs> is using it a little carefree. You Definitely. might be right. Yeah. Oh, I'm just interested that she... I, I had to look and check to see what the next episode was. And we have one more episode for the flashback episodes because it seems like despite not knowing how to calm spirits before the avatar state has something embedded into it and it's not like Korra to you know be able to pull from that so i was really interested that she was able to sort of learn a new skill even though it didn't work on this particular gigantic dark spirit i don't think it's frightening i don't think Korra's gonna make it to zuko next episode based (laughs) on that i i feel like if you're consumed by a dark spirit you might fall down alice in wonderland's rabbit hole and uh wind oh, up in the spirit you think that's going to be the big spirit world in episode? spiritville i mean it, mm. it kind of has to i mean how do we we haven't mentioned janora's experience with the statue at all <laughs> since the first episode and we have these flashback episodes coming up how does it connect i mean i'm, I'm i would i feel like now that she's encountered a spirit she's been consumed by one that maybe she right. falls into the spirit world who knows um 
Devendra, you didn't mention Lin Bei Fong once this episode. I'm a little. I didn't. I mean, I want to see more Lin Bei Fong. <laughs> it's definitely great to see her. I like her. I liked her throwaway line where she just looked around and she was like, she kind of knew what was going on. And uh, yeah, she was like, you should have seen her at Temple Island after her. Yeah, Tenzin broke up with me. Yeah, she is. <laughs> that's the ultimate zinger. That was hilarious. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, no crazy chain action. Unfortunately, I don't think. I, we, I don't think uh, we're gonna get it. I want. I want it. Sorry. Cora can't even middle bend yet, can she? Yeah. Well, she's got other priorities she's right got, now. She's got other things, but uh, let's get some middle bending training going on. Let's do something. <laughs> but I th- um, you bring up a very important point that we do yes. need to cover before the end of this episode, and that is Mako and Cora breaking up. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. That was OMG. People are flipping out. I mean, yeah. I, I don't necessarily know that's true, but I am I positive. Watching the show did not see that coming at all. Like, I can't believe this. Well, maybe they would pull it, you know, taut. The relationship would be taut with stress and tension, but not necessarily to the breaking point. I didn't. Oh, my God. I didn't expect them to break up. But this is all according <laughs> to the Boy Meets World plan that I set out in oh. the first episode. So <laughs> this is fine. Um, but but this this had to happen. I think. Right. right. This is the, this is the ultimate betrayal, quote unquote, and it's going to screw with fans, clearly. Um, but I, I don't think people are going to digest it the way that they should. I'm afraid that people see Mako and Cora breaking up and are going to flip out. Either Cora did something wrong or Mako, how could you? But like this needed to happen because of where these two are going and what the, these two believe in. I mean, this relationship cannot happen. You're right. They're both growing up, too. And I think that's important to show that, I don't know, whatever fairy tale idea you have of them getting together in the first season, you know, we didn't get to see too many of those good times, I guess, because the season begins with them already bickering over kind of every conversation. Um, I don't know. It would have been nice to see a little more of that, but yeah. it'll be interesting to see how this helps the characters grow. And, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what else. I'm sure... Um, we can have more love triangles coming back, but I hope not. I really hope not. I just don't want another triangle. Right. I think they we're beyond get that. Together triangle. and break up as much as they want. We're beyond that. We're beyond okay. the triangle. Although yeah. when she bumped into Asami, when Cora bumped into Asami in the episode, yep. I'm like, oh, Asami's going to step back into things, comfort Mako. But instead, she is blackwatering all over this world <laughs> and filling. I mean, she is the the Lord of War right now yep. for some reason i actually thought you know speaking to your point before davinger about like why doesn't anyone notice either varick's plans or people don't seem aware and maybe they're so driven by their own mission that 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 clouds their vision but asami you're so smart why are you why are you why do you need this company to survive <laughs> and why do you want to give tanks to a civil war a, a feuding well, she has left continent her father i mean I, I think it's interesting how they're setting it up because um Varric basically tells her you know we can kill two birds with one stone you can provide the people you like with weapons and you'll make money doing it you know it's it's kind of a necessity thing do you uh, do you see mm-hmm. any of these people facing off in in battle at some point, I mean, are we going to see Korra and Mako bringing each other down in I hope battle? Not. I hope I hope the show is smarter than that, but um, I don't know. I guess we will see what happens. I, I will say one thing that really fell out of place in this episode was everything happening on Air Temple Island. Yeah, because uh, I I don't know. Like I I definitely see the point of that scene, but it feels like it takes you know an entire scene. To kind of tell you something that could be shown. Not an entire scene, an entire subplot. I mean, we yeah, get. Subplot, I think we get yeah. three scenes of Tenzin oh, yeah. and Milo training Pokey, 
with being Alpha Lemur is lonely. Um, I know what you I, mean. This episode would have been much stronger if we just spent it entirely in Republic City and kind of dealing with everything going on right now and maybe take another look back at uh, the Southern Water Tribe. Um, it didn't it, feel it essential. Feels, yeah, definitely in a, inessential at this point. Although um, I, I did enjoy Milo training an entire horde of lemurs um, because I thought, <laughs> I also, I, I liked the imagery, I liked the animation there. I also liked um, Jeremy Zuckerman, the composer's music cue in that scene, which is very Avatar, not Avatar, The Last yeah, Airbender, but like Avatar, Avatar, James Cameron's Avatar, <laughs> with like swooping and flying and it's majestic. And I don't know, it was a little bit of a breath before all the po- back to the politics, back to the history, mm-hmm. back to the books. Um, oh, just get to the Fire Lord. <laughs> that's exactly. what Dave wants. He just wants the Fire Lord. I just You're- want the politics to play out. I'm. Actually, you know what? No, I'm also happy with the the Bolin subplot because he's sort of involved in the propaganda. But I I feel like he's gonna have get lulled into a sense of uh, security and maybe feel like he's a star, and then Eska's gonna burst through a wall like the Kool Aid Man, and it's gonna be <laughs> on. Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, By I, the way, I... Eska so much fun now now that she's like full on rage mode. Yeah, the change in the outfit to sort of like yep. a morning, but scary. Although, Dave, is that funny? I think it's funny because <laughs> they keep presenting it as being funny. She's, I mean, she's a little goth now. Like, she's an angry goth. Like, uh, things are just freaking out. Um, I also love Aubrey Plaza and the way she's doing these lines. She I think m- it's- this might be her best role to date. I, I don't know about that, but I'm, it's definitely this is not something we've ever seen her do before or heard her do before. Yeah, um, yeah, she's definitely getting pitches to her voice that she hasn't allowed her other characters <laughs> to get to. That's which one way is, of putting it. Is always sort of interesting. Like, uh, for, it, it it hooks me in in a weird way. Like, I don't know why, but during the battle, I was like, she really thinks Cora took her husband away. So I guess that's it did its job. Yeah. I guess we should wrap this episode up um, with some of our favorite moments from the episode. Dave, do you have a, a moment that stands out or that was your favorite? Even though you didn't get to see the Fire Lord or Zuko this episode. You got to see General Iroh. I did get to see General Iroh, but I'm going to say that Varric's idea machine oh. uh, it just seemed sort of the, it, like <laughs> it, it, it seems sort of very turn of the century. I'm talking about two certain centuries ago right. medicine where it's like oh thinking's helped by circulation to the brain therefore all these things will make me come up with the best possible ideas <laughs> we should fact check that chili pepper usage <laughs> i'm curious if it really does get the blood flowing you you try it Patches. <laughs> oh yeah, you try yeah. It first. i'll do i'll do that off podcast oh n- but now now that i mentioned general iroh dave because you yeah. are the political history expert here um, yeah. Just because I say so. Who who is General Iroh in my grand um, scheme to to pinpoint real political military figures for all of these characters? <laughs> oh, he's like the I don't know head of the Department of Defense or the military. It's a little bit more stronger than a UN peacekeeping force. Uh, Wasn't there some more... SEAL Team Six guy who had to recently <laughs> depart? I don't know. Man, I mean, I it's, it's, it's interesting because at certain points in the history of democracy, uh, there's, you know, especially during war, sometimes the military can get a little cooey, 
So um, it's that's not where Iroh is right now. But if they wanted to pull on a continuing echoing uh, <laughs> thing throughout history, people starting to trust Iroh or the Avatar over the president because they have the ability to uh, control military power would be a oh boy. thing that has happened throughout time. Sure. Oh boy, oh boy. Sure. From Caesar can, onward. I love the scene with Iroh, by the way, because uh, it, it feels like without it taking a beat, right? He's like, oh yeah, sure, Cora, I'll help you. President comes in. It's like, sorry, Cora, my hands are tied. My hands are officially tied. Immediately reverting on his word. Yeah, we should definitely do that. No, we can never do that, of course. <laughs> uh, Devendra, do you have a favorite moment? What was the name of uh, Bolin's uh, character? Is it Tok Tok? Oh, Something like that? Nok Tok, I think. Nok Tok. I lo- uh, that was all fun. It was really fun to see. I love the propaganda stuff. And, uh, you know, I-, I hope before Varric goes full on evil, which I guess is our big takeaway from this episode, um, that we get to see some more of this uh, this propaganda going on. I feel like we we must. It's guaranteed. It's too good yeah. of a setup. Um. And my, my favorite moment of this episode was actually early on during the, the peace march. Um, the su- the southern people in Republic City were marching, and Korra's marching with them, obviously showing an alignment there. And everyone, or the northern people in Republic City Dispatch, were yelling at her. And one guy yells, uh, get a real dog! <laughs> and I just thought that was the funniest. I'm like, oh, Naga, come on, Naga's a real she's kind of a did dog. You say that? I thought you said get a real job. I thought it was. Get, I think it's get a real dog. Mm. It's a jab at Naga. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm writing lines now. But whether whether or not, I think get a real dog is brilliant. So maybe it's me. Um, <laughs> hilarious line. Uh, well, I think that about wraps things up for this episode of Republic City Dispatch. Just a reminder, because um, I forgot to do it earlier on. We are on iTunes. You should subscribe to the podcast there um, simply by searching Republic City Dispatch on iTunes. And when you do subscribe, please leave a rating or a review on iTunes. It helps us get out there more, bring more people into the fold, and start a bigger conversation about the legend of Korra. Um, Matt, Matt, we should probably point out, too, like, even if you don't listen to the show on iTunes... Please just open up your iTunes app <laughs> and subscribe. Like, just just do it because it really helps our rankings. Out. Absolutely, Thanks. absolutely. It helps people. It helps fans. Yeah. Um, so that about wraps things up for this episode of Republic City Dispatch. Why don't we tell people where they can find us when we're not obsessing over the politics of Cora? Deep reads, Dave. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at da70 and latino-review.com, writing about superhero movie news, and also on a podcast uh, every Tuesday called Opkino that discusses pop culture and movies, and then recently Breaking Bad. Devendra? <laughs> oh, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Devendra, and I write about tech every day at venturebeat.com. I also podcast about movies at slashfilm.com. I'm Matt Patches. I write about pop culture things on the internet, and I put them all on mattpatches.com, which is my Tumblr, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches, and I do Operation Kino with Dave, which you should also check out. And that wraps up our conversation Wait, on... Stop oh my, stop the presses. Stop by our website at republiccitydispatch.com, and you could jump in the comments and find other ways that you could reach us and other people who are fans of Cora. We're also on Twitter at rc dispatch yeah so, and we have a facebook page we're all over social media um so continue the conversation about peacekeepers there and until next time farewell <laughs>